Welcome to the Tej Talks podcast. Forget the property celebrities. We speak to relatable people with fascinating journeys, just like you. Hosted by Tej Singh, we bring you new stories, life-changing deals, and expert advice every week. Hello everyone, greetings. Now on today's show we have Ranjit Sira. Now he is a chartered civil engineer with over 30 years experience designing and building housing estates, business parks and everything in between. 30 years, that's older than me, wow. So he is a business strategist who invests in HMOs and commercial conversions in Derby with joint venture partners and that's actually how I met him through one of his JV partners. He is a man with a charitable heart who helps both in his local community but also nationally with a children's charity and Sikh organisation. So without further ado, Ranjit, welcome to the Ted Talks podcast. Hi there Ted, it's a pleasure to join you mate. Absolutely, it's great to to have you on. I think you and me have been connected on Facebook for for quite a while, actually. Um, and I don't think we spoke properly. And then I ran into some of your clients and friends, um, Gareth and Jag, and they they said you and me should talk. So look, here we are. Um, it's, it's my pleasure, mate. My pleasure. I think it's it's one of these Facebook things, isn't you? You watch and you lurk, watching people do things. Then when there's a a moment, there's a connection. Then you pick up the phone or you drop an email or drop a text. So, yes, absolute pleasure. And, uh, yeah, some good guys in London, Jag and Gareth, uh, you know, business partners as well as, uh, you know, some great, great people. Yeah, yeah right away. Yeah, they definitely gave me some advice and, and helped me out. So, yeah, for sure. And so, Andrew, what what were you doing before property? Like, who were you before property? <laughs> <laughs> I still am, I think, before property. I'm, I'm already living that uh, multiple streams of sort of income life, I think, or maybe too many streams. Um, so my, my background is I'm actually, actually a civil engineer, chartered civil engineer. So anybody who knows what that is, great. If you don't, I basically build things. I'm a construction person. In a, so I've been doing that for over 30 years. And uh, I do property alongside that. So I know recently the property journey has taken off quite a bit, but uh, my business partner and I here in in Derby, we did property going back, what, 20 years, mid-90s. So although I could could legitimately say I've been in property for 20 years, it has been on and off. So, uh, but civil engineering is my passion uh, from a childhood, really. Um, When I was a teenager, you know, I liked studying. I was with the uh, little SWAT at the front of the class. I think I realized now I sat at the front because, uh, you know, my eyesight wasn't brilliant and uh, I needed glasses very shortly. But, uh, yeah, I, I was the guy at the front and, and when I was 14, 15, you know, options for O-levels and so forth, I decided I wanted to become an architect. Uh, with some guidance at the time, the, the the powers that be, the parents, the teachers said, um, architect is maybe not for you. You're more, more, more of an engineering person. So why don't you try civil engineering? And I've not looked back. I... I said yep that's it I liked what it was and you know went on to do a degree uh, became a chartered engineer what 20-23 years ago now and been working in construction ever since you know obviously roles have changed and and I've done some you know early on apprenticeship roles going graduate roles on site in the design office I've got a wealth of experience going back from you know 30 years designing building constructing pretty much everything um so, yeah, so that's been really handy in the property journey. Yeah, I was going to say, and, and what aspect of the 
I mean, it could be everything, but what aspect of the kind of construction and engineering was the most relevant for property? Because I know when we spoke, you were working on some huge kind of projects in terms of the budgets. You know, how did that translate to, I guess, sort of smaller projects on, you know, like a residential buy-to-let? Um, I think the the key, this is what, because our people call them transferable skills. And a lot, we, we all have these skills. We just don't realize them sometimes. And it's, it actually took a few phone calls very recently for me to pull out some of this from myself and realize actually these skills are more than transferable. So the kind of key skills that property can benefit from or property journey can benefit from my construction background is that construction bit, that project management bit, the ability to take, uh, you know, if, whether it's a small single letter or a HMO you're doing and design the space to maximize the kind of profit you might make. So with single lets, can you configure them better? Can you turn two beds into three beds, say flats or houses, you know, put a dividing wall in. Um, so there's that spatial awareness that, that I, I bring along, you know, uh, space planning, room planning, et cetera. Uh, in a, you know, an extra room in a house can make you, you know, give, give you an extra income, can't it? And it doesn't cost a lot either. Um, so that's one bit of it. The other bit is the project management side. And really project management, so seeing a project through from the start to the end, you know, quite often people feel their way through. They can't quite see the end and they kind of go from pillar to post along the journey. And um, what construction has taught me, well, you can't do it that way. If you if you fail to have a plan, your only, your only plan you really have then is to fail, if that makes sense. Uh, it's been quoted quite a lot. And say so without a plan, you are you know, on a route of failure. So you do need a plan and the, the ability to plan things to a level of detail, not to the nitty gritty of how many bolts and screws we need, but to a level of detail where you can see the problems that may arise. Yeah, because a construction project, a, a buy to let or a single letter or a HMO conversion may take you three, four, five months. And you don't want that to drag on for 10, 12 months. So the ability to see that through in a planned way is, I think, one of the key key sort of transfer of skills that I was able to bring over from construction because when you're managing a 10 million pound project you know you need a certain amount of control on it because you know so you know the client suddenly can't find 11 million or 12 million pounds it is 10 million and it's 10 million that's yeah. it so that control on projects you know managing budgets managing people yeah 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 I think uh, I think you raised two really important points then I think one is 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 particularly kind of valid to people who are new in property and it's kind of what you said about knowing your value so you know you know that you have these sort of transferable skills and it took you know sort of a moment to realize it but actually no matter what our kind of job or background or training or family background is there's actually something we can add to property whether it's helping someone else in property helping ourselves helping the builders helping you know we all have a value to add and you know it's great you mentioned that because when we're new and I've kind of been through that you think oh I haven't got property I haven't even like spoken to a mortgage broker like you know what can I do but actually I think people need to dig deep and like look in the mirror and say actually I have all these skills um and the second one you said um was about having a plan and I think that's important in anything in life you know property business building some you know whatever it is you need a plan um so no I'm really happy you raised those two points I think they're great things that like we all have to remember and and I think to add to it if we if you make a plan then stick to it right absolutely yeah I'll just go back on that that 
and add a bit more uh, meat to the bones, you might say. So, so knowing yourself is is probably the hardest thing to do because because you kind of set your own standards, don't you? If they're very high, then you find that you're actually a failure when you look internally. Um, but there's a there's a bit of a tool uh, when I when I do keynote speeches and so forth at network events. Uh, it's one of the things I put up because I like to give people something to take away. Um, is a SWOT analysis. So S W O T. And, and people kind of get lost on the OT bit. I sort of focus on the S&W. And, and I, you know, there's a little grid you can draw up. And I, I've got some pointers that I've put in there. What's personal for them? Um, the strengths and weaknesses, opportunities and threats. But if you look at just the strengths and weaknesses bit, and I do so, I tell you people, when you do this, when you write your strengths and weaknesses down, it's going to make you cry. And it should make you cry because it's really digging inside you and you've got to kind of, uh, build yourself up. You've got, to, you've got to kind of put the ego aside, and and but actually manage the ego. You know, oh yeah, stop being humble to yourself, and you know, push yourself, push your own boundaries, and really discover who you are, and what you what you can do, what you bring to the party. So you know, sometimes it can be a, a silly little thing, like you just said. It takes a serendipitous moment for you to realise the skills that you've got and the strength that you have. Um, so yeah, that's 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 really great place for people to start with you know strengths and weakness analysis and the other bit about the plan yes i'm looking at my plan right now <laughs> uh, i'm kicking myself because i drew it up at christmas and there's only about two things on it which i've actually started or done <laughs> but like you said i've got a plan <laughs> yeah no of course and obviously there's ways to kind of organize this and, and organize their priorities and stuff so that's kind of all the nitty-gritty of like how to plan but like how how did you discover property and and like if you if you can remember tell me about your first deal and if you have any figures on it that would be awesome okay um yeah let's share we share the stuff we did a couple of three years ago then we started back in property so the backstory here is we did property my business partner three of us here in derby we'd graduated so we were you know earning some money living at home uh, looking to buy our own homes and do all those kind of normal family mm. you know things um there's no pressure from parents, but uh, we thought, well, why didn't buy a house? So we did. <laughs> we put some <laughs> cash together, begged and borrowed for a deposit. And we were going back to the mid-90s, late-90s, where buying a property was much easier. Mm. You went to got mortgage, told you to rent it out. There was nothing special about it. Yeah. Um, and I think the house then was only like 20 grand or something. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Uh, wow. Um, so we, we did it then. We learned from a lot of mistakes. There's no education at the time. It was kind of you spoke to a few people, you did it, you saved it for a deposit, bought it, uh, liquor paint, and then you rented it out. Mm. Um, to do it to students was always a problem because I think if you're old, I don't know how old you are, but, but at that time in the 80s, 90s, where I was growing up, there was a program called The Young Uns, The Young Ones, oh, okay. uh, in various other programs that de depicted students a bit of anarchists so <laughs> so it was oh if you lend out yeah, if you're renting out to students you know you only get a trashed house back um I think the scenario these days is much different but mm. so there was a bit of a fear of doing you know rent to renting to students but it was a lucrative market who got people who got in um and in 2003 we actually sold up um for various reasons family you know growing families and so forth and we cashed in and kind of got bigger houses, nicer cars on the driveway. So, so turned our money in from, from assets into liabilities. Um, but that enabled us to sort of weather the, the storm that came in, 80, in 2008. And then, you know, going through the recession, we didn't really do anything. I, I had a single letter I was just managing in the background. 
And then three years ago, my business partner came back to me, his Satnam, and uh, he said, got a bit of cash. You've still got that single. Let's get back into property. And I said, no, man, it's had a recession. It's too much hard work. I'm in a nice job. You know, we've got a few other businesses going, oh, no, not really. He ended up persuading me. And, and but, you know, when you look for something, you, you want something, it ends up right in front of your face. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, there was a seminar one evening. Uh, we booked in twice or thrice, cancelled each time because things came up. We ended up going. We sat there on the front row. Um, and we were gobsmacked within 10 minutes as to what we didn't know. What we thought we knew about property and construction mm. kind of fell by the wayside. So construction bit was different, but the property side was, oh, my God. Every 10 seconds was an, oh, my God moment. And before they even did the sale, we'd signed up. So we did a course, um, then we went on to do other courses with other companies and mentorships and so forth. But that enabled us to get the first deal. And so we knew how to negotiate. So, you know, when you look for the deal, how to get the deals uh, either through the right uh, to the, uh, what do you call it, the estate agents or, or off the boards, off the Internet. So we found a couple of deals and we went in, spoke to the estate agents, you know, uh, did the things we were taught to do in negotiating. Mm. And in the end, we ended up getting, I think it was, get me right here, 120K property for about 102. So there was oh. about 18, 18K off or 17K off, I think it was. Nice. Um, so what's that? About 15% middle, below the asking value? Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. People talk about below market value. Well, what is a market value really? <laughs> so it's a tough one, but I'll say below asking value. So whatever the yeah. market value value was we managed to get a discount off it um and that turned into a we, we determined to turn to a hmo a house of multiple occupation mm -hmm. this wasn't for students we were aiming at the professional market so in in derby if anybody who knows derby we've got a number of large employers like rolls royce who build engines and uh, bombardier who build trains mm -hmm. toyota is not very far out of derby who build cars so there's a lot of large employers and we thought you know what there's a lot of there's a lot of transient work, work, for, you know, work people coming to these places. Let's go for the professional HMO market. So we, we picked these properties in different areas to the normal HMO place. Okay, so it was a unique and bit of a, not a stab in the dark, but a calculated risk in the dark. Um, it cost us, what, 100, 203K by the time you got legals and stamp duty kicked in. So <laughs> we got it at the time when stamp duty, land tax, you know, the extra 3% was was coming in we were hoping to complete just before it but in the end we we couldn't because the uh the sellers uh dragged their heels a bit mm -hmm. so there's a learning lesson there you know it doesn't always work out and we had to find another three three and a half k in wow. uh, tax but okay. the mindset you've got to develop is these are just the costs of doing business and you know if you're going to do property short term yes you can make money it's not so predictable but long term you have got predictable cash flow and, and capital mm. growth so, yeah, I think we did that one. It cost about 30K to do it up. We did an extension, tidied it up, put safety, uh, fire safety doors in, emergency lighting, alarm systems, etc. Mm -hmm. And we turned that into four beds, uh, HMO, with shared bathrooms. So it wasn't a big build or a big project. Mm. I think we turned that round. We bought it, I think, in the June of the year. And it was rented in something like September. So wow. within two or three months or October there about three or four months you know getting the planning permissions in place a little extension um, getting the builders on board getting prices on doing it decorating it 
um, yeah, about four months later, and it's been running at about 92% occupancy since then. So, wow. So all in, I think it costs about 145k for four bedrooms. Mm-hmm. And if you're getting it 92% occupancy, it's not, not too much to argue about, really, is there? No. And, and uh, what was it revalued at? Uh, we haven't remortgaged it, actually. Funnily enough, we bought that on a straight HMO mortgage. And the extra money we put in, because what it, what, the backstory to that was, we'd had about five failed deals. Uh. Um, we'd put offers in. You know, we'd done 100 viewings, put 90, 80, 90 offers in, had 20 accepted, then people have pulled out and we'd actually gone to I think five or six to a point where you know exchange was imminent which committed costs and then for some reason other problems arose mm. so we had money sat in the bank for about a year doing next to nothing wow. so we said you know what for the first property let's put the deposit down get the mortgage and then whatever it costs on top to do it up we'll just put it in yeah, I see that makes so sense. There's different ways and different tactics because we knew the money sat in the bank was doing nothing. Of course, yeah. Sat this property, I think the LTV now is about fifty percent. Hmm. It's it's earning it's it's earning us money. Um, and at the time we fixed the mortgage for two years, we said we're happy with a two-year window for this money to be tied up. Hmm. That two years came up, and we've just gone on to SBR because we're going to transfer it into a limited company. Uh, okay. So all the rules change in between. <laughs> As they always do all As the they time. Do. So yeah. we're going to have to take another hit with the stamp duty, but we want to move it to a, a limited company shortly. Um, so that's this year's plan to do that. Okay, cool. And, you know, I think HMOs are, are something that, I guess, especially when you're kind of new to property, a lot of people talk about, half the people say they're a pain, they're so difficult to manage, everyone's arguing, everyone's fighting. Half people say, actually, you know what, it's been fantastic, it's no problems at all, you know, hands off, pretty straightforward. What's your experience been like, because I know you have other HMOs, what, what's your experience mm-hmm. been like generally of, of having HMOs? This, I think it starts with having that plan in mind. Um, I'm going to do a bit of a plug here. I uh, <laughs> don't know if anybody knows Rob Moore of Progressive Property. Uh, they, but might, he's, they might. Yeah. They might do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, those who get emails from him, definitely. <laughs> I mean, he's one of the guys that we've trained with, uh, mentored with Progressive. And he, there's a great book he's written called Life Leverage. Okay, how to get more done in less time, etc., etc. And And there's key things in there about how to manage HMOs. Well, not necessarily HMOs, but just manage business. And the mindset my, my business partners and I have got is, Try and leverage out as much as you can. So if you're not good at it, you know, don't stress yourself for trying to be good at it and pay someone to do it. So secret is out. We don't manage our HMOs. We let the agents do that. So we have a, a relationship with an agent in Derby who, who specializes in HMOs, and we, just, we work with them. So anything we know, we'll share with them. We keep on top of them, make sure they're doing what they're doing. Uh, you know, we'll meet up. But they're also at a local property event uh, progressive Property in Derby, the, the network event, they're a founder member, we're a founder member. Um, so we work quite close glove in hand. And so we don't have the hassle of trying to get tenants, trying to get the contract signed, all that palaver. Um, and then the, the problem management afterwards, we get a phone call, we've got some builders who, who did the build work and I've said to them, you know, you're retained basically. If there's a problem on the property, it's yours. You sort it, send us a bill. And what we can do by leveraging our time like that. Occasionally, we have to go out because the properties aren't very far away. But most of the time, we, it's a phone call. Uh, there's key safes on the property. 
So, you know, we'll give the code to the builder or builder knows the code or, or the electrician needs to go. He's got the code. They can go in, get the key, go in, fix it and send to the bill. And, you know, it's how much you value your time, etc. If property was your only thing, though, and you, you know, were pretty much fair, you know, free most of the time, then do try and self-manage it. But these days, the pitfalls of managing property is so, so, so many. You know, you're, you're, I think you're an immigration officer, you're a tax person. <laughs> you know, you, there are so many things you have to do as, an, as a, as a, you know, uh, an agent that, you know, you've got to really clued on. Um, I mean, it's a classic one, te- tenant deposit schemes. Mm. If you take a deposit from a tenant, whether it's a HMO or a single let, you've got to protect that deposit. And a lot of people don't know that. Mm. And, you know, if if you don't do that and the tenant gets wind of you haven't followed the process, they can come after you and claim, yeah. you know, I think it's three times the deposit back from you. So there's silly little things like that, which which, you know, make it really difficult. So if you're going to become a, a letting person, you know, know your stuff, know what, mm. what is expected of you, uh, you know, look after your tenants, you know, be a friend to your tenants and you know, have that really good relationship with your tenants. So, you know, ten- tenants, when they do leave, say, oh, I wish I wasn't leaving, but you know, my job's <laughs> changed. Yeah. You want that kind of review. So, you know, learn, your, learn how to do it properly before you try and do it yourself. Definitely a, a minefield. No, so, that's, that's, that's interesting. And that, and that kind of goes back to your first point of having a plan. If you've got the plan, you know what you're leveraging, you know what you're keeping in, the percentages of each, who you're going to give it to, then, yeah. like you said, you know, you can really free up your time. Or if you don't want to, you can make your time busy. Um, so that was kind of the deal you worked on in the past. So uh, I saw one of your investor packs. And actually, I didn't know that Derby has so much going on in such a thriving economy and all this regeneration. Like, maybe mm. it's being a Londoner, we just kind of like don't see too cold up north for you to come yeah, this way <laughs> like birmingham's enough i'm like oh wow there's lots going on in birmingham but i just didn't didn't realize so like you know talk me through one of maybe your latest deals that you've sort of completed on or maybe are in the process of so what are we looking at at the moment so we're we're, we're going through refinancing refinancing so the last i think seven or eight months we've done on refinancing stuff uh, selling a little bit off, so kind of building up a cash pot. What we're looking at at the moment are a couple more HMOs to do, uh, medium to large size. Um, but we're also looking at co- large commercial conversion. I, I don't think it was in the pack I sent you. That pack's about four months old, three months old. Those deals have moved on. Um, but we're, we're looking at, so, so just talk you through the thinking process at the moment for a commercial conversion. Uh, it's a large large church looking school building if that makes sense so it's a it's a victorian building uh, it's been derelict for a good 10 years um the guy who owns it owns a business center next to it which so he's kind of got the school buildings half of them is turned into a serviced offices uh, suite you know suites uh, those are rented out and the, the the bit that looks like a church um it has not been you know has not been worked on there's done nothing to it and we're developing a bit of a plan. So it's on the market, I think it's 350, 370, something like that. So it's got a lot of money for it. But it does require a, 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 either knocking down a rebuilding or a total regut. So you're talking about you know, building costs there alone approaching a million pounds. Wow, okay. So, um, but what we're finding in Derby, you know, there's a buoyant market and, and all you Londoners, <laughs> you're from London, aren't you? Um, all the, the southern money is slowly sort of coming up north yeah <laughs> what's been happening is pushing <laughs> prices up yeah so you know the property that would have cost us 150k here is now costing I don't know, 180 because wow. 30k to someone with money from london is actually not a lot 
Well, everyone in London is yeah, a millionaire, so, as they say, right? Yeah. So, <laughs> so when they say, oh, 150, 180, uh, yeah, buy it. Because it's, it's still less than half the price of the average price in London. Mm. So it's, it's making the market a bit hot up here. But, you know, if you look hard enough, you get not bargains, but you get fair fair value pro- uh, projects. Hence, there's a very buoyant market up here, you know, like with the employment and so forth. Mm. Um, and, you know, Derby is a, an, an industrial town or industrial city. So, you know, there's always things being made here or have been for the last you know, few hundred years. So, you know, long may that continue. We don't know what Brexit will bring. There's yeah. some uncertainty about that. But, yeah, uh, you know, if, if you want to invest in Derby, give us a shout. You can walk, <laughs> talk you through through the area, you know, have, you, have a bit of a day up here. It's not a very big city. Uh, the planners are a bit of a pain, but, you know, we work with them to do the best we can. Um, but yeah, there's a lot happening here, and you know the deal we're looking at is what do I say about 1.2, 1.3 million, and what we're finding is because of that buoyant market, it's the seller's market at the moment. So you know when you look at a commercial conversion or a development deal, you normally want to have about a quarter of it as a profit, kind of kind of sponge. So you know a typical deal, I, I work on this quarters rule. You know, if you if it's a million pound deal, you don't want to spend. Uh, you know, you buy it for about 250. You spend about half a million on it, which leaves you 250k profit. Okay. okay. So it's a model that the banks like. They can see that if it does go a bit, you know, negative or problems occur on the project, you've got 25% buffer. Yeah, and then so on that commercial conversion in the church. So your the price is about 350, 370. The building costs about a million. So what would be the GDV at the end of it? You know? This is the the six million dollar question, as I say. <laughs> We've worked it out at one point five million. Yeah, okay, so it's for, I think so it's fifteen flats in there, or eight fifteen or sixteen flats in there. So the margin is uh, fairly well. It's not tight, but it's not. It's very. It is tight. What we're finding ideal. is the buyer buyers are squeezing the profit into the sell price, uh, so they're asking more for the the per, you know for the, the, the to sell, um, and therefore it's squeezing the margin at the other end. And and a lot of people are getting caught out. So I've been helping. So the other th- business I run is I run a planning and building regulations design service. Ah, and okay. so a lot of people are coming to me. And when I sit down with them, I say, ah, looks like you haven't got any, mar- you haven't got any margin in this. From with my, with my property developer's head on, I can see <laughs> there's no margin. Yeah. And people are buying stuff and then realizing there's no profit in there for them. Yeah, it's the reality. They think, oh yeah, buy that for three fifty, but actually, the the only way to make it profitable if you buy it at two two twenty, because mm. sellers are bumping up the prices, and if you get undervaluations at the other end from the surveyor, you know you've lost your profit basically. So there's a lot of people I've been helping. You know, not in large scale jobs, but in small scale jobs where they've bought a bit of land or they bought a property, then found that the refurb costs are are make, you know going up. Um, things they weren't aware of again lack of education um, so there's a couple of guys we're helping from London actually who are doing a terrace into four flats with a big extension and I had a, I think an hour's chat with them on the phone the other day and there, there's a, at least half a dozen things they hadn't factored into their costs mm. um, so we're trying to help him out to help them out to try and bring that in and when he did the re-numbers again he goes oh god that's just squeezed our margin down to like 10% <laughs> Well, that's the thing, right? And, and, and that's another important point. It's about having these people like yourselves and, and other people in your team who can say to you, look, you know, you need to factor this, you need to factor that in for my experience, from this, for my network, I know this. Because 
you know without your input without someone's input in your in your team you know you're kind of just you may be going in a bit blind so i think that's another important tip for yeah. for people who are again starting out is to really focus on building a strong team around you and, and ask for recommendations and referrals and and suss people out because you know it will pay dividends in the long run to like mm. to get it right at the start absolutely there's a great acronym for that actually it's called ppp um pay your professionals properly <laughs> I yeah like it. so quite a common theme and I, you know if you're going to seek someone's professional advice first of all make sure they are the right person so you can go to an accountant but if you accountant never done property find another accountant um and when accountants lawyers engineers architects you know they're professionals most of them don't do property so they have a turnover they provide you with a service and you know if, if an architect's asking for for two grand you know, don't try and haggle him down to twelve hundred pounds because guess what? If you pay cheap, you'll get a cheaper service. Yeah. So you know, pay your professionals, get the right advice, and if you if you can de-risk as much as possible, then you know what you then you then you know what you're dealing with, and you know, seek seek advice from the professionals on what could go wrong. That makes sense. Yeah. Sounds pessimistic, but yeah, if you yeah. know what could go wrong, the risk. Then you can put it to one side and have a list of risks that could go wrong and say, well, actually, mm. if that goes wrong, what would be the impact? Maybe 50 pounds or 500 pounds yeah. or 5,000 pounds. <laughs> then you can start to have a bit of money set aside for things that may go wrong. Um, I mean, we had an example in one of our HMO conversions where I looked at the roof. I hadn't got access to the roof. And I looked at it from the outside and I thought, Do you know what? We're going to be doing this huge extension on the back. Let's put some money aside in case when we get up onto the roof, we have to change the whole roof. Yeah. Mm, yeah. And in, and we because we put that money aside, when we came to the roof, when we got the quotation, uh, it was actually less than what we put aside. It was a bit of a no brainer. Yeah. We said to the builder, I said, you know, we've got it. I've had a look at it myself. Cause, you know, my background being an engineer could look at it. And I said, yeah, we could do with changing this. So we stripped the roof. We had the money set aside. So it wasn't a, a hard thing. Um, so little things like that, uh, you know, be aware and have a, what they call a risk pot, a pot of money that could you know be used for, for things that when the if and when they go wrong. Good, that's that's, that's good advice, and I think it's it's a mindset as well because if you've put that money aside, so it's, it's you know technically it's a lot, it's gone already. So when it comes to it, like you said, you've spent it technically in your head. So yeah, you know you're more than happy to do that. And then going back to what you said about Derby, where you know London money is coming in and pushing everything up, I think. I'm I'm seeing that in Birmingham and Coventry as well, mm. where I'm looking to invest. So, you know, this is quite a broad question. So answer it mm. in whatever way you want to. But like, what is your view on the market in your area, and where do you see it going in the next sort of five years? Wow, <laughs> it's <laughs> very broad. Let me reach over my desk and uh, get the crystal ball out. <laughs> uh, it's anybody's guess. I mean, we do a bit of market analysis, you know, locally. So locally, the last twelve months have been a bit hot. It's cooling down a bit now. People are getting a bit more sensible. Um, so we, we, I, I check the auctions, you know, the outputs every month uh, here in Derby, and I check the ones in Birmingham as well to get a feel. So Birmingham's a lot more buoyant at the moment. Um, there's obviously, you know, less to Brexit to one side. We no one knows what what Brexit will bring next year. You know, all the pundits are saying good things, and the so so many pundits are saying bad things. So anything could happen. We just do not know. So Brexit aside, what's happening in the Midlands? You've got the I think there's Commonwealth Games coming to Birmingham in a couple of years' time. Yeah, Perry so Bar, Birmingham. Think, yeah. yeah, Birmingham. So Birmingham's economy is on the on the boost. Mm. Um, 
in in Derby, you've got you know you've got the manufacturing base. There are orders. You know, Rolls Royce have got orders. Uh, Bombardier, or you know, they get through ups and downs. They get an order, it lasts five, six, ten years, and then they're looking for the next order. So, you know, there's work there. Toyota are still making cars. Um, when the switch to electric cars in the next decade, yeah. So they, yeah. you know, the investment today pays off in five, ten years time. So, you know, that that's still there. Hospitals, you know, people's, you know, the NHS is still public. I think it might be bits of it private, but you know, there's privatization of the health service potentially you know these things are, st- are still going to be needed and people still need going to need homes and houses to live in um, and the i think the uh, the government stats themselves show that we are not building enough properties or not having enough properties available for people to live in you know there's a requirement for 300,000 houses or homes a year up and down the country so you know whatever we do as property developers to fill that gap is a drop in the ocean so there's always going to be a need for housing and, and, and homes. Um, so, yeah, these, these areas are buoyant. Nottingham's got two universities you know, in the Midlands. Leicester, again, two universities. So very strong uh, student areas there. Um, article 4 apply, doesn't apply in Derby, actually. We don't have Article 4, but we do have licensing coming in from October. So that's going to kind of, you know, there's, I think, a £700 charge for a HMO license now coming in. Um, so that's going to affect people. So, you know, make sure you take that into account in your in your budget numbers. Close to a thousand pounds by the time you add in the cost of putting the the, uh, the uh, HMO license pack together, because you know it's not. I think there's 29 things you have to satisfy. So, you know, there's ups and downs. There's always ups and downs in the short term, but long term, I mean, you know, property is a long term asset. You know, you put the uh, put the time and effort in now. What do they say? Set and forget. So, you know, you set it all up and then you forget about it for five, maybe 10 years. Um, you know, if, if you're worried about Brexit and the economy, think about fixing interest rates. So when you take loans out, fix them for five years. Yeah, mm-hmm. that should, weather, you know, should weather a five-year cycle. If you fix to, to, to 10 years, you might pay a bit more, but actually you're having less risk and more certainty. So these are things you can do to, to, to kind of ride the storm or, you know, benefit from the upside. Um yeah. Okay. Does that make sense? That kind of give you a bit of a picture of the Midlands? Yeah, yeah, no, it, it definitely does. It's it's in um, line with what I've been hearing from from other investors. So yeah, it's yeah, interesting things happening. And I think the economy up there, you know, London is, is great, but people are just getting priced out and you know, the Midlands are lovely. I love the Midlands. You know, it rains and it's a bit cold, but you know, it's it's okay. I'll uh... I don't know, you've had thunderstorms there this year this week down in London. we we've had no rain up here this week. Well that's that's true actually. Yesterday was quite rough. But that's just typical London, you know, it gets really hot, everyone's like, Oh, we don't like the heat and then and that happens, right? So it's just standard. That's funny um, enough that London is just digressing from it. London is my, my second home. I spent four years studying in London. Oh wow. And the first day I was there, the first morning I woke up I thought this is hot in here because of all the, I was over in the city, over okay. in the east extend area, mm. and I woke up. It was warm. Thought, this is unnatural. This I realised afterwards it was the the buildings, you know, being left on or not cooling down overnight. <laughs> the general temperature was just warmer, so yeah. it was a strange kind of feeling. But yeah, no, That's the Midlands is a good place. I've been here almost uh, what is it, forty six years now. Wow. Uh, so yeah, yeah, it's my, it's, oh, it's, my, it's our home up here. You know, yeah. No, for sure. And and when it comes to, because I know we you kind of spoken about your build teams or sort of briefly throughout our conversation, something that is 
is always talked about and is always a point of kind of headaches for some people is how do you find and maintain like a good build team like what are your if you had to narrow it down to three tips of finding and maintaining a great build team Mm. what would you say they are okay so so build team we're talking about builders and professionals here because they're they're kind of the same kind of yeah anyone Uh, who's going to change it from that wreck to being uh, a beauty into beauty um first of all is work on the relationship rather than the cost okay people get fixated with the cost and you know the less you pay the less you get the more you pay you get fleeced obviously so there's a there's a happy spot so first tip would be you know to to work on the relationship with the builder the architect whoever it might be make it personal yeah really try to understand where they're coming from where are they at their point in life in their business cycle you know they cash poor cash hungry just try and understand what what's happening in their life not at deep level but that relationship because I've worked with builders where, you know, they've said, look, we could do, we've got a bit of a cash flow issue. Can we have some money up front to procure the materials and then we'll, we'll catch up later. And we've agreed that plan. Yeah. So that relationship is really understandable. Others have said, don't worry, we don't need to invoice for, for six weeks. Uh, we can carry that for a while. So that relationship has allowed that flexibility to occur. So rather than getting stuck up, I will pay you every week and this is what you'll get. It, it, Cash flow doesn't always work like that. Business works differently. So that's one tip is work on that relationship. Um, with the builders then, the, we talked earlier about risk. So the builder can only see what you can see. The builder how, has experience of seeing things that you may not be able to see. But then there's always going to be risks and things that turn up randomly, that just, just are out of everybody's sort of sight, line of sight. So sit down with the builder and and write down and try and quantify the risks that may occur, the things that we can't see. Like the example I gave earlier about the roof. With my engineering hat, I knew there was a potential problem there, so we put some money aside. Um, but have a chat with the builder. You know, they, They've got a wealth of experience. And, and, and put that money aside. So, okay, let's put this money aside. I'll, keep, I'll make sure we've got it in the budget somewhere. This is the contractors for 25K, but I've got 7,000 set aside in case these things happen. That seven grand can reduce to four, five grand, four grand, two grand. And in the end, it's well, actually, the only risk that really occurred was you needed to, I don't know, change that plasterboard over there and it costs us 200 pounds. So pay them 200 pounds. Don't try and negotiate and wriggle your way out of not paying them. You know, things go up and down and, you know, have a conversation with them. So, so that's the other thing. So, you know, one thing is about relationships. Second thing is about managing the project as a kind of a two way thing. And mm-hmm. having a risk pot set aside. Um, third tip then is set the set the end in mind. So at the end of a project, there's a lot less things to do. So the contractor will be looking, or the builder will be looking to do his next next project. Yeah, that's where he can start to wonder. So a three month contract could end up being a six month contract because the electrics aren't quite finished, or you know the the plumbing, the three solder joints to put in. Uh, towards the end of the projects, agree with the builder what that exit route is going to be. So a snagging list, what needs touching up? Is the paint okay everywhere? Does it need tweaking here? Are there cracks that need filling? You know, Because after you've done fresh plaster, plaster it will shrink. Um, so that's snagging at the end. You need that route at the end. And you're never going to be 100%. So don't try and make it 100%. Go for 90 95%. If 90% of your things on your snagging list are done, you're ready to go. 
you know, as long as not, not anything major, you know, if the electrics aren't working, that's not quite right. Yeah. But if, if one plug is looking a bit wonky, don't stop you letting the rooms out. Put a, a warning sticker on it and move on. And yeah. give the contractor a bit of, a couple of weeks to sort it out because he may be having trouble getting, getting hold of the electrician. See what I mean? So there's yeah. things at the end where, where, where if you tail it, the tail can be very long. So chop the tail and let the other things be sorted out later. Great. Solid yeah, advice. It's a real practical sort of steps, really, but no, no, it's, <laughs> I it's, hope it's, somebody finds them useful. So. Yeah, no, I think people definitely will. I have. I think what underlies, I think, all your points is an understanding whether it's of them as a human, of their situation, of the fact that they're trying to get hold of an electrician. And I think that's something when we're on edge and we're on budget trying to get things done, especially in a something as expensive as a house mm. and the reputation that builders have, I think we can get quite on edge and not sort of step back mm. and understand it. So, no, e- excellent points. People will definitely find those useful. Uh, if you want, I mean, I'll show you a real example of what happened with one project we had. Yeah, go for it. Uh, it was meant to be done in, I think, three months or so, three, four months. It was full re- refurb. And the builder dragged his heels and it was annoying. And, and we, my, you know, we got to a point where I was getting annoyed. And I thought, I worked on the relation to try to keep it moving. Um, and it was about six months later. So it's done up now. Tenants are in. It's, it's occupied. And I said, science, you know, I said, hey, mate, what, what happened here? What's, what's been cracking? Why is this type taking a lot longer than it has done? And, and it actually took a, a human experience, you know, that chat, because he hadn't been, he'd been very closed about it earlier. But he said, look, mate, whilst I was doing a project, I was going through a divorce. Wow, okay. I said, bloody, I said, why didn't you tell me earlier? We could have worked through that with you and helped you. So in the end, we actually ended up having almost a marriage counseling session with him. <laughs> <laughs> and I got a little email from him afterwards. I said, look, mate, you know, thank, I'm really sorry. He was really apologetic about having messed us around. And he gave us a discount as well. I said, look, you know, it's delayed me, I think, a month getting people in so that's cost me x pound per room what do you reckon he said yeah let's work it out we'll give you some something back um wow but what i got out of that because he saw me as a human being yes and i'd, I'd never quibble the payments he put the invoice in it was paid within a couple of days um what he saw what he got out what we've got out of it is his goodwill so whenever a, something goes wrong say electric fuse pops or something so, you know hey mate can you come around he comes around and sorts it and he hasn't billed me to date wow so how do you how do you quantify that? You can't. You it's can't. back to that relationship, getting to understand, you know. And that's a real that's a real example. So, uh, yeah, he you know he's uh, he, he's a good guy, but he was going through a bad patch at that time. Yeah, of course. And and again, it, it just goes back to being human, having understanding, having empathy, and and just sort of thinking. Hold on. Yes, some people will mess you around for the sake of it, but often I think as humans we have all these problems which. You know, we experience them, so everyone else is experiencing them. So kind of, yeah, I think that's really important. And I haven't really thought of it like that. But now that you've said that, you know, I definitely will be kind of doing that going forward. So, yeah, oh, brilliant. Great, great tips. I'm yeah. glad I asked the question. <laughs> um, it was great, great to get something out. Yeah, no, it's, it's what you put into the bank that matters more than what you take out. I think that's one of kind of life's uh, learnings for me. You know, yeah, to, to have interest, you've got to make a deposit. <laughs> that makes sense yeah so you know <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. I, that's 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 actually a really interesting way of 
was thinking about it again lots to think about this is becoming a philosophical chat Philosoph- here. Philosophical, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it is it does work down to you know at the end of the day when you work with people and you build your power team you know there's more people like the accountants etc etc mm. um you understand where they are and then you can work with them as people yeah. everyone wants to provide a service but at the end of the day the experience you have through a building project should be a good one at the end when you can yes. reflect back and say, you know what, we nailed it. We had these problems and, you know, you can either have pulled your hair out and hair out and got stressed over it or we sat down and worked it through and we managed to get through to the end and it was a win-win for everyone. Awesome. And then, so my last main question is um, a question that everyone is probably always wanting to know about other investors and other people in property how how do you get investors for your projects so i know you've got the investor pack but on a kind of more top level strategic approach how do you go about finding funding from private individuals okay this this it's kind of a two-point question or two-point answer here i could give you so one is when you're talking to, about private investors in a one-to-one relationship then I prefer that than private investors trying to go for the mass market. That makes sense. So rather than trying to find 10 people to, to do business with, find one or two people. But to get to that point, you know, it's about just connecting with people. So we've connected. So there may be a point in the future where, where you might come to me or I might ask you, Ted, you know, you're in London. Do you know anybody who may want to invest in this project? Yeah. And it's just asking through people, asking of people of and showing what you're doing that People show interest because remember, people have got 50k, 100k, 10k, even small amount, uh, but 10k for some people is a large amount. It's money they've earned, they've got, they've you know, they've built up from blood, sweat, and tears, you might say. So you've got to treat that money, you know, very carefully and think about what what it means to them. So try and understand the person you're dealing with, and and you know, if you want to go for mass market, that's fine, but a lot of it will boil down to, uh, you know, building strong relationships with with a number of people to start with um the other the other thing that's cropped up on on the radar in the last few months which i'm i'm really toying with is crowdfunding so mm. this is kind of mass marketing but through a, a regulated and you know, uh, mark, you know people like simple crowdfunding etc where, where you can go to many people but it's done in a kind of a hold your hand way so I've not tried that. We're going to look at that as a as a as a route in the next project, possibly. Um, so yeah, I think first of all is you know put your stuff out there, tell people what you're good at, and people will start connecting back with you, and just have an open, honest co- uh, uh, conversation. And, and usually it is you know what can I do for you? How can I help you? Yeah. What is your problem? Because it's it's their problem you've got to solve, not I need your money yeah. to invest in this project. This is what we're doing. If it you know floats your boat, let's get together and have a chat. If it doesn't, then, yeah, you know, it's a conversation. Maybe this person can help you because they're doing that. You know, signpost people to other places. Don't don't feel that, you know, everything has to revolve around yourself. Yeah. Um, I had a conversation with someone yesterday who, who I said, well, actually, it sounds like what, for what you're thinking, you need to speak to so-and-so and so-and-so in these cities over there. I know them. So give them a drop them a note. Say you've, you've had a chat with me and have a chat with them and see – see what they say because you're obviously you know you're not thinking you're thinking of derby as an option but you're also thinking of these cities and i know people in those cities who are good people so those recommendations i'm quite happy to you know be happy to pass them along yeah uh, to good people um 
yeah, so there's, there's a few few thoughts there, a bit mixed okay. up, I think. But no, yeah, no, but generally, it's back to relationships. You know, what can you yeah. do? What problem can you solve for for the for the investor? That makes sense. And and so, obviously, it's all about offering solutions and and fixing people's problems and pain points. But would you say that getting investment for your project is is difficult, or do you think you've probably got more money than you have actual deals? <laughs> it's a funny one. We have had investment. Uh, I think what's happening at the moment is a lot of people are getting educated about property to a certain degree and think they can do it themselves. Mm-hmm. I'll leave it at that, I think. <laughs> so, so investors, the, the, the people are really investing. Uh, we'll, see the, we'll see what you're putting together and we'll come on board. But there's a lot of frogs you have to kiss before you find your prince. <laughs> okay. So there's a lot of people who who want to invest but want to do it themselves and don't have a power team. You know, yeah, it's it's a it's a difficult question to answer because, um, you know, there's lots of answers I could give you, but I think it's really what is a person want, and quite often the person who's the investor doesn't quite know what they want, and and usually what they think they want is I want immediate cash flow of a thousand pounds a month with my with my you know with my 20k I want a thousand pounds a month payable immediately no work to do well and, and a 50 percent capital growth in six months <laughs> whoa yeah sounds possible yeah we can yeah. do that <laughs> I, have okay. say no, I have to say no to that but yeah. then help them try and find out what's realistic and what's 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 doable yeah, yeah. Of course, so, we're still so fixing their problem right in of the understanding or of what's kind of realistic um, yeah cool well look you know all I have left is to ask you my quickfire round, which is which I call a three by three. So, oh god, okay. <laughs> what are the three biggest mistakes you've made? Okay, first one: implicitly, implicitly trusting uh, a broker, mm-hmm. thinking a broker knew everything. Um, not quite poking around in a property where I perhaps should have. So mm-hmm. we had a floor that was uh, broken. In the end, we found out. So I should have poked her on. I made an assumption. So mm-hmm. don't make assumptions. Um, and the third mistake is probably loads, actually. <laughs> um, shall we leave it at two for now? Leave it at two, sure. Break. I'll put you on yeah. the spot, so that's fair enough. Yeah. Um, and then what would be your top three tips for people who are new to property? So new to property, I think, first of all, is, is do your personal sort of strengths and weaknesses. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So know who you are. So from that, determine what your skills are and what your strengths are and tell people about them. So whether it's on social media, because that's the way we connect, get on there and tell people what you do and what you're good at and how you can help others. And just be active. Just do something. Um, to do something, you need a plan. So have a bit of a plan of what you want to do in terms of your self-education, your connections with people, your networking, the kind of projects that float your boat. Yeah, don't try and do everything. And, you know, what kind of returns are you after? Are you building something for now, so immediate cash flow, or something for later? So once you can nail those things down, what you really want or need, I should say, then it becomes easier for you to then tell your story. Mm-hmm. That's a bit of a long answer there, but no, yeah, no, no, know, know who you are. Okay. Two others? Uh, so what's the question again? <laughs> so what are your top three tips for new people? New people, right. So okay, so, so strengths and weaknesses is one. Um, put yourself out there. So network. So network events, network meetings. Get to your local ones at least one or two a month. Ideally one a week, but that can be sometimes a bit too much. So networking. And third of all, 
it's it's kind of learning, but but keep a reflective log of what you've been doing, and what you've learned. It's a kind of a diary or a journal, because hmm. quite often we do so much we don't realise what we've done. Whereas if you can read back what you have done and you've written it down, it just gives you a self confidence boost. Yeah. Does that sound good? It's more about the person, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, of course it, it varies from person to person, but yeah, no, absolutely. And and the last one is, I guess, a more personal one for you. What are your top three goals for the the future? Give me one, maybe short term, one medium, maybe one long. Up to you. Okay, I'm looking at my 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 plan. This is the Ranjit plan here, right in front of me. <laughs> I just happened to be working on it yesterday. So, uh, one of my goals is we're looking to do between two and four HMOs this year. Mm-hmm. So get them off the ground. You know we've got some cash in hand coming, and uh, we were looking for it. We will be looking for investors. So two to four HMOs and possibly that commercial deal we're talking about. Mm-hmm. I don't know how long that will take to make come about, but this big numbers. So we need to be really careful. Yeah. So that's that's kind of the the construction side. Um, I've got my design service, my consultancy service, Surreal Limited. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm looking to develop that and offer more project management. You know capacity capability services and so forth so so those two those two are uh, uh you know kind of business related stuffs um and the other one is uh, networking you know just put myself out there on the network circuit i've been off the circuit for about six months seven months with other things mm-hmm. so i'm looking to get back out there and uh you know go just be not just in derby maybe go a little bit beyond derby maybe pop down to london uh <coughs> you know, once or twice uh, over the next few months and uh, you know, get get my face back out there. So so Good. kind of yeah, a couple of property related stuff, personal related, and you know, networking is 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 the one, isn't it? That's the big yeah, one. Yeah, definitely. Fantastic. Well, look, Ranger, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. I think there's a lot of value in this podcast, and I and I'm sitting here taking notes as well, and I'm <laughs> I'm learning things for sure. And you know, you've got a wealth of experience in property and in the engineering side and the planning. So, um, what I'll do is in the show notes, I'll put your Facebook, your email, any other way of contacting your website details, so that obviously, if anyone wants to get hold of you, to have a chat to you, to invest with you, whatever it may be, they mm-hmm. can just get, you know get straight to you from this podcast. Um, so yeah, thank you, thank you so much. You're going to help a lot of people with this podcast. Um, and and yeah, I hope you've hope you've enjoyed it. I have absolutely yes. It's my first, I think, second or third podcast or interview I've done, and it's been quite quite a different one. So thank you for for taking the trouble to to contact me and you know do this podcast. It's been a pleasure, and I look forward to the the final product and uh, to your success. Thank you very much. If you like this podcast, connect with Tej on Facebook, LinkedIn, and YouTube for more great content.